Thank you, Ron. What a powerful song. It just opens my heart to the worship of God and the ongoing need in my own life for me to be a worshiper of the Lord. Well, I hope you're ready for the word because I'm ready to teach, but I'd like to pray before I begin teaching. So let's bow our hearts together. Father, thank you so much for your incredible kindness to us. I pray that as I minister, there'll be moments throughout the sermon where each of us will feel as if, God, you're speaking right to me. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Over the past four weeks, I've been on a series titled The Generosity Journey. And I'd like to close out the series today as I talk about leaving a legacy gift. If you have your Bibles, open to Proverbs chapter 11. What we've learned already is that generosity is at the core of the gospel. It is one of the values of God that he so esteems that he wants each of his children to be able to embody the trait of generosity. We ought to be generous with our love, generous in our kindness, generous in our forgiveness of others, generous in our mercy, and certainly generous in how we share our resources. God wants you to grow in generosity. Proverbs 11 verse 24 says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. So we can see from the text that generosity is not one-dimensional. It's not just you giving to help someone, which is fine. But God says, when you practice generosity, there's reciprocity with it. God not only blesses you, this verse scholars refer to it as a business text. God expands your business opportunities and causes them to grow larger and larger. I want you to see generosity is a prophetic act. What you sow is what you're going to reap. When we think of generosity, we cannot overlook the role of legacy. When you're generosity-minded or you practice generosity on a personal level, it also says, in essence, I must think about not just myself, but I must think about the generations that follow me. That's what legacy is about. Legacy is about setting in motion gifts that will have benefit to those who follow you in terms of your descendants. I love what Peter Stropel, a business strategist, says. Legacy is not leaving something for people. It's leaving something in people. So what Peter Stropel is reminding us that legacy, it includes tangible gifts and intangible gifts. Building, lands, houses, property, tangible. Intangible, character, godliness, valuing people, a love of diversity. Those are intangible assets and both must be passed on. I want to spend some time looking at Proverbs 13, 22, our anchor text. But keep in mind, when we focus on leaving a legacy gift, there are things that we must, that we must have sharp focus on in terms of we must prepare the giver, we must prepare the gift, we must prepare the recipient. And I'm going to unpack those three things that are crucial to preparation. But they all emerge from the anchor text of Proverbs 13, verse 22, which says, A good person leaves an inheritance 
for their children's children. So what we learn from Proverbs 13, 22 is that it is a discipleship matter to be able to leave a legacy gift. It doesn't matter what your net worth is. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. The Bible is saying God wants us to shape our values and behavior where we can leave a gift for our children's children. Now, what should we place sharp focus on? Might I suggest preparing the giver? That should be where we place our focus. See, part of being good, a good person, or a wise person, some translation use that term, a wise person leaves a gift, a gift for their children's children. Part of being wise or being good is the fact that we're thinking next generation. We're not just thinking for ourselves. We're thinking about the generations that follow us. That's the heartbeat of generosity. And how do you tell a person's character, their values and feelings towards people? It's going to be how they leave gifts behind. Oftentimes, it's reflected that way. Back in 2004, real estate billionaire Leona Helmsley, she left $12 million in her will for her dog, Trouble, but, caught, but cut out two of her four grandchildren entirely from her will. Trouble's inheritance was later cut to just $2 million by a judge. But do you realize that the dog still had to go into hiding because there were death threats and, and threats to kidnap the little dog, Trouble? It's, it's a crazy story and a real one. But the idea is, Leona Helmsley you can see that's why she was dubbed the queen of mean. People were not really, that's not her thing. Her dog was, not necessarily people. But if we're going to leave a legacy gift for our children's children, there must be preparation in us and with us as the giver. When I think about the preparation, consider two people. One person a business executive pulling down $200,000 a year in their salary, contrast against a host at a local restaurant making $50,000 a year. The business executive, this person, they think quantity. So they have big stuff, big house, big car. They have money that they spend, fancy jewelry, luxurious vacation. The person who is the saver is the person who just makes $50,000 a year. She doesn't think quantity, she thinks quality. She thinks experiences, she thinks saving. When they both die, think about it. $200,000 a year, $50,000 a year. It's not inconceivable for the saver with $50,000 a year to have a legacy gift and the spender with $200,000 a year, greater income, but no legacy gift. Why? Because they spent all the money on themselves. We don't want to be that. Proverbs 21 verse 5 helps us to understand how we need to prepare ourselves as a giver. Verse 5 reads, if you plan and work hard, you will have plenty. If you hurry to get rich, you will end up poor. What the Bible is teaching us is that a determined person can make money but a disciplined person is able to save money. So I want you to see that it's not just about making money, 
It's about saving money. The quality then of being a saver so you have a legacy gift to pass on to your descendants is that you have to think about planning and hard work building up over time and not get rich quick schemes where you're looking for episodic, you know, instant money, quick money, fast cash. That's not how you do it, Scripture teaches. In fact, in the New York Times bestseller, The Millionaire Next Door, a book that was written years ago by Thomas Stanley and William Danko. This was, these are two sociologists and they studied the lives of decamillionaires, millionaires that have at least $10 million in terms of their net worth. And they recognized that there were some common denominators among them. In fact, they arrived at their wealth for, it took them 20 years. And there were, usually 57 years of age or above. They, you know, would spend, you know, more, not more than 99 bucks on shoes or buy watches for under $100. In other words, these individuals recognize that you can't really build wealth if you focus on just spending on yourself. Now, let's look at some of the common habits, though. Because the book points out that these millionaires, they had certain traits. Let me just give you a few of them. One of which is, and I call them legacy makers, they live below their means. They're not consuming everything that they have. According to United States Financial Health Pulse of 2019, their trends report, only 29% of Americans our American households are financially healthy, which means only 29% of American households are spending, saving, borrowing, and planning in a way that ensures that they're financially healthy, that they can pass on a legacy. That's frightening. But I see that legacy makers, they must and they learn to live below their, below their, their means. They also, they practice wealth building. That means that their focus is on the quality of life and not necessarily the quantity of life. Here's another another trait among these millionaires. They don't display high social status. That means that the typical millionaire next door, you won't even know that they're a millionaire. They're not driving their wealth. They're not wearing it in jewelry. They're not showcasing their financial status. It's only those who have the quick, 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 get rich, quick schemes do all of that, but not legacy makers that are truly thinking about fulfilling Proverbs 13.22. Here's another trait common among millionaires, which I'm also calling legacy makers that pass it on. Legacy makers, they raise financially independent children. This is a critical, critical piece. In other words, you have to realize if you're a parent, Your job is to help shape and mold your children's mindset, perspective, and value of money that when they grow, they don't look at you as a wallet, but they look at you as someone that, you know, there's a joy that they have that you're able to achieve your status, but they're not individuals that run wild and live rampantly and carelessly with financial management. I'm going to talk more about that, but I want you to see these are traits befitting of legacy makers. Hey, you can develop these traits. That's the good thing. 
So what we learn is that if you're going to be a legacy maker or leave a legacy gift for your descendants, you have to then deal with preparing yourself. Let me take you back to our anchor text of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, this time looking at the contemporary English version. If you obey God, you will have something to leave your grandchildren. Wow. From this text, I see there must be a preparing of the gift. So it's not just you, the giver, being prepared. The gift must go through preparation. In other words, in order to leave something for your grandchildren, you have to make something and not consume all the something that you make. And I've learned this in my years of living. As Scripture says, that if you obey God, you'll have something for your children's children. What I'm learning is that I obey God, and I must obey God, and I also have learned my money must obey me. See, when your money obeys you, it means that you're the ruler of your, of your money. Never be one where your money rules you, where your money dictates what you do. Your money tells you, spend me. Your money says, buy this. Your money says, buy that. No, you dictate, you guide, you determine how and when you'll spend your money. In other words, preparing the gift is critical to being a legacy maker. And my prayer is that you will become a legacy maker. So in a day to come, your children's children will celebrate not only you and all the intangible assets you pass on, but they'll also celebrate the tangible assets that, you'll, that you've passed on. They'll be thankful that you gave them a leg up. You gave them a head start. You set some things in motion because you prepared, not only you, the giver, there's a preparation of the gift. I want you to see how valuable that it is. Now, you may say, well, I don't have any children, so what do I do? Well, there are lots of things you can do. There are organizations that you value. Leave something to that organization or organizations, plural. There may be certain social interests that you are concerned about, whether it may be diversity or maybe molding leaders that think cross-culturally, or you want to be able to invest in the future of specific individuals that you see are promising. Those are individuals can be part of your legacy as well. They may not be family members, but they may be individuals that can carry on the work that you've established, or they may be able to do something good in the world. So you look for these social innovators, and you back them, and you invest in them, because they may be sharp and witty, and they just need a leg up. And you can invest in these kinds of insightful, inventive, innovative individuals, and the future will be impacted. It doesn't violate the text of Proverbs 13.22. In fact, it supports the text. Proverbs 13, verse 11 says, Wealth gained quickly will dwindle away, but the one who gathers it little by little will become rich. So again, when we come back to this point of in order to leave a legacy gift, it requires preparing the gift. And the scripture is telling us, don't get 
caught or stuck mentally because you don't have this big wad of money or you weren't born into a family of means or you may not have a high income. That's not what the Scripture is telling us. The Scripture is telling us that money doesn't happen in this episodic, quick, get-rich-quick scheme way. It takes time. And that's why we, I read to you the sociologist's response in the book, The American Millionaire or The Millionaire Next Door. They're telling us it takes, on average, 20 years to grow something. And so you're b- developing this legacy gift little by little by little. Don't dare allow the enemy of our soul to let you hide behind a statement that says, I don't have a lot of money, so there's nothing for me to manage. It's not about how much you have. It's about how well you take care of what you have. Mismanagement of money, it sounds like this. I deserve this luxury car. I deserve this big house because I work hard. Even though you don't have a savings or nest egg for a legacy gift in preparation, you hide behind that. And that's something that's very dangerous. Here's what I would prefer that you would learn to say. I deserve to be out of debt because I work really hard. I deserve to leave a legacy gift for my children's children because I work too hard to spend everything today. That is a preferential statement. My prayer for you is that the Lord will do a work deep down inside so you'll be able to say, I'm going to fulfill Proverbs 13, 22. I'm going to be that wise person that leaves a gift for my children's children. I want to just take you through a little quick exercise just to give you a context of how powerful the scripture is there in Proverbs 13, verse 11, where it says, we're accumulating money little by little. That's how we grow and gather wealth. Question, what would happen if you invested just $100 once to satisfy Proverbs 13, 22, let's say back then in January of 1926, in the S&P 500, Growth over time would yield $924,225 if I looked at it all the way up to December of 2019. That means those, those years, we would see that that $100 survived the Great Depression, survived World War II, survived the 1987 you know, stock market crash, and grew through the tech boom, and survived 9-11, and it came to that place $100, then mushroomed because of compound interest to $924,000. I want you to see $100 would do that. I love what Albert Einstein says. Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. How true. See, a poverty mindset gravitates towards get-rich-quick schemes. That's why you find that mindset in of, of lotteries and people buying lottery tickets and lining up in queue. You'll, sometimes you'll see them when there's a major amount of money that one can win. You'll see sometimes dozens, in, in fact, hundreds of people in line in queue spending 50 even even $100 to buy lottery tickets. I, you know, it's amazing what, when you look at this, the data. CNBC reported that lottery winners are more likely to declare bankruptcy within three to five years 
than the average American. In other words, people that get money quickly often lose money quickly because they don't understand how to manage money. Don't fall into that trap. I plead with you. I pray for you. I challenge you today. Let the Holy Spirit help you accumulate wealth little by little so you can be able to fulfill Proverbs 13, verse 22. Let's go back to that $100. This time, I want to paint the picture of $100 that you invest every month. So it's not a $100 one-time shot. Every month, you're putting away $100. Let's say you started it into the stock market now, and you started it back in January of 1970. And that $100, by the way, it's equivalent to you buying your Starbucks Cafe Latte Grande, $4.75 plus tax every day that you go to work. So 20 days a month. That include, that totals 100 bucks. Considering inflation, the average interest rate of the market, by the end of year 2017, you would have little, you would have accumulated little over $180,000. This is because of the power of compound interest. Quoting Albert Einstein again, he cleverly noted the strongest force in the universe is compound interest. I wanted you to see what would happen if you simply chose to put aside $100 a month towards your grandchildren, their inheritance, their legacy gift. Just 30 years, 40 years, look at how it accumulates because of the power of compound interest. So the scripture is telling us something that we ought not to ignore or dismiss because of your income. It's telling us that we accumulate wealth little by little by little. And the power of compounded interest, it causes that little by little by little, the discipline of accumulating wealth to grow and mushroom into something substantive. Can you imagine you putting aside that $100 every month? And then when your grandchildren, they become heirs of that $180,000 that accumulated over those period of years. And could you imagine? Or maybe your children accumulated it 30, 40 years later. They can buy a house. The average house in New Jersey costs $500,000. If you put 20% down, that's $100,000. Subtract that from 180, you get $80,000. They can buy furniture or they can you know, complete repairs, or they can put that money towards a 529 plan for their children or your grandchildren. Every time your children walk into that house that they bought with the legacy gift you gave them, they would say, thank God for mom, or thank God for dad. Every time your grandchildren walked into that home that your gift afforded their parents to buy and put the down payment, your grandkids, as young as they are, they'll say, thank God for grandma, thank God for grandpa. Why? Because a wise person leaves a gift for their children's children. I want to encourage you, let there be not only the preparation of you, the giver, but there should be a preparing of the gift. Vitter Belfort, who's a Brazilian mixed martial artist. You see where I get my sermon notes from, <laughs> MMA fighters. <laughs> he says, legacy is not what I did for myself. It's what I'm doing for the next generation. Let me ask you to imagine with me for a moment. Imagine how your children will feel when you leave them a legacy gift. 
they will literally feel as if you're handing the world to them. You're giving them a head start, a leg up. You're allowing them to stand on your shoulders so they can be able to run their race at a faster pace than you and more proficiently because you've helped to resource them so that they can be effective at what God has assigned for them to do in their generation. May I bring you now to my final point? There's a preparing the giver, preparing the gift, but it cannot be to the neglect of preparing the recipient. Our responsibility to leave a legacy to our children's children, it means that, excuse me, they have to be properly prepared. Not only the tangible assets that they must know how to manage and handle, but the intangible assets as well. Godly character, values that are enduring. These things, they must get the right perspective. That means your children and your children's children, as much as you can influence them, shape their values so they understand how to manage money. Shape their values so they understand how to care for people. That's a critical piece of preparing the recipient. Psalm 78 and verse 5. This is called a maskil, M-A-S-K-I-L, a type of psalm that's referred to as a teaching psalm. So when you sing it, you're supposed to be taught a lesson. Verse 5 says, He decreed statues, talking about God, decreed statues for Jacob and established a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. There's a responsibility that God entrusts to you and to me in regards to our children, our nieces and nephews, those that we influence, the younger generation. And one of which is that we have to teach them values so that it becomes their value too. And so part of the issue of preparing the recipient to inherit this legacy gift is that they must be prepared to value money. By that I mean is that they must realize that money is, it requires trustworthiness. Money requires that you understand how to manage it properly, budget and live within your means and to also be able to prepare their descendants to handle it properly. And so I want you to see it's being a steward of the legacy gift that's been entrusted to you. In the early days of our church, we were renting space. That's where we met. And I remember one particular period of time for a year and a half, we rented space in a catering hall. Jewish owners, they would hear, overhear the sermon from their office, and sometimes they'd comment. And I was teaching on money management. After I finished, the proprietor called me into his office. He said, Reverend, and he couldn't even get the words out. He just started crying. He said, I wished I would have practiced the advice that you're teaching your congregation how to live within your means. I've written checks that we don't have the money in the bank to cover. And I'm losing the very legacy of this catering hall that was handed to me by my parents. And he just wept. And I threw my arms around him and just held him. 
See, there's something about preparing the recipient to handle the legacy gift. Don't just give a gift and walk away. No, Scripture declares we have a responsibility morally, ethically, theologically to shape the recipient and prepare the recipient so they can handle the gift that we pass to them, whether it's tangible assets or intangible ones. I want you to see the value of what this means. The lack of training in money management, it's what's led to many of the players in the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, after retirement, that in a few years, they're filing bankruptcy. In fact, 78% of former NFL players have gone bankrupt or suffer financial stress due to joblessness or divorce. All the millions that they made went right down the drain. Why? No one really helped prepare them to be the recipient of money. And within five years of retirement, an estimated 60% of former NBA players are broke. Why? They have not recognized the value of handling money. So what we learn is that we must prepare the recipient. One way we prepare the recipient, as I mentioned, is to be able to manage and handle money. Another also is to invest in worthy causes. What is it that's important to you? What's valuable to you? Shape and mold the value system of those that you're going to pass a legacy on that they may also value that particular area so they can invest in it as well. One of the needs that I see is that the gospel has to have what I call legacy makers. People that are willing to say, I want to stand up because I have a gift of giving and I want to shape the future of the Lord's church. Bear with me for a moment. I want to talk to only a small segment of the Christ church family. I hope you're part of that. There are some that are sitting right among us that are fellowshipping among us in the virtual campus that have high net worth and high income capacity. But more than just that, they have an incredible gift of giving. What would happen if you decided to say, Pastor, help me help you to fill the vision gap of Christ church? You may say, what's the vision gap? We're here, we need to be here. The financial gap, it slows us down, it hinders us. What would happen if you became part of what I refer to as the legacy group? A team of men and women that are willing to say, I want to give you an annual gift that will help fill the legacy gap, in essence accelerate the growth and the vision of the church so that we can see Christ's church accomplish all of what God has called us to accomplish. And would you help me then? Because I've provided such a thing for you. In fact, the link is on the screen in front of you right now. You'll visit that link in a moment. But bear with me. I've learned that individuals that have the gift of giving, that are high income generators, they oftentimes are extremely lonely. 
And so part of the legacy group is to be able to provide this connect group, a social time of interacting, so that you can feel as if you have people that are your contemporaries and your peers and your colleagues, that they're not envious of where you are economically. They share the same status, but they just want to be able to have people that love them and can walk with them through life. Now, that's what's available. Follow the link and get more information about that. Now, you may say, oh, Pastor, that, that's so... That, that, I don't like that. Hey, we have groups in here, just an older you. I speak specifically to individuals, 65 and above. We meet their needs. We have groups in here for nursing moms, where other moms teach them how to breastfeed, how to take care of their toddlers. Now, there are times we have to speak exclusively to different segments in our congregation. It's okay. Why? We're part of the family. And Romans 12 verse 6 gives us a litany of gifts, and we have to get each gift in the church operating in an operational way. And the gift of giving is a gift that needs to be operationalized in the local church. Now, if you weren't part of that if you say, well, I don't fit that, well, that's okay. Let's go back to the sermon so I can talk to everybody. What we see, however, is that when we think about the preparing the recipient, we must see the value of legacy. I bring to your attention the words of Jim Rohn, who's an author and motivational speaker. Rohn says, all good men and women must take responsibility to create legacies that will take the next generation to a level we can only imagine. Let me ask you this question. What would happen if you considered leaving a legacy gift for your descendants? Could you imagine those coming after you when they hold on to the baton, that legacy gift, and you make sure they can successfully hold on to it? You would have catapulted them into a whole new echelon You'd have set in motion this reality of Proverbs 13, 22. A wise person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Let's be people of Proverbs 13, 22. Let's write that number, 13, 22. Emblazon it on your chest. Put it on your forehead. Put it in your mind. Why? That you can be someone that practices generosity and it's evident in the legacy gift that you leave behind. May I pray with you and then lead you in Holy Communion. Bow your heart with me, please. Now, if you have never before invited Jesus into your life to be your Savior, would you pray this prayer with me right now? Heavenly Father, I need you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Save me, wash away my sins, change me. I ask you this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray for everyone else as I take Holy Communion. So over here I have the elements prepared. The Bible tells us that communion is one of the sacraments of the church. It's an act of worship. It's one of the disciplines that we've been called to practice. And so, this represents the body of our Lord. The cup represents the blood of Jesus. And maybe in your own life, you're saying, Pastor, there's some things going on that I'm just troubled about. Well, I'm asking the Lord right now 
to bring peace to you. So as we take communion together, I'm asking the Lord to work a miracle in your life. If you need healing, I'm asking him for healing. You need financial blessings, I'm asking him to give you blessings. But if you need to set things in order for your legacy gift, then I'm asking God to help make that real for you. Let's pray and then take communion together. Father, I thank you right now that as each of us partake of Holy Communion, the power of the Holy Spirit will bring healing to each person who are in need medically, bring healing to relationships that are just torn and, and fractured and hurting, bring healing to legal situations. And Father, I pray that you just galvanize in our hearts that we may be people that are reflective in the 1322 principle. Help us to set in motion legacy gifts for our descendants. I ask you this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you take what represents the body of our Lord? Let us eat it together. The cup, which represents the blood of Jesus shed for the remission or the forgiveness of your sins, as you drink it today, may you be reminded of the great work of grace that Jesus did for us on the cross. Let us drink together. Amen. Amen. May you have a blessed week. God bless you.